does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, good Wednesday morning to you. We are live here at the Indiana Convention Center. I'm certainly one of the more popular faces has joined us right now. I would assume the reaction, Nick Sirianni, to you coming to downtown Indianapolis may be a little bit different than when you exited Lucas Oil Stadium <laughs> back in early November. Uh, we don't need to begin with that, but... Um, Shane Steichen, the hire here, um, was listening to your podium session a little bit earlier, and obviously he was a guy that you entrusted a whole lot. What will you lose the most in not having Shane with you? Yeah, you know, obviously, anytime you lose good people, you're it's it affects you. It affects you. And Shane, I always thought Shane just had a phenomenal way about calling a calling a game. And I started off calling games in in Philly. Uh, and I and I thought to myself, man, I you know I, I need to be able to manage the game better. And I have this great play caller who did a great job with the Chargers calling plays. Uh, you know, I need to entrust him, and he just never let me down on that. Uh, he was awesome on that. He does a great way about calling plays, how to stay calm through the through the madness of a game, um, through maybe the head coach yelling uh, at his direction, and then still staying calm. Like Shane's was very steady, um, and so you know that's that's one thing that sticks out with Shane. Or just his ability to call a game, his ability—you know how much, he, how good he is with the offenses, you know how good he is connecting with players, his accountability with players, and you know he's a good friend of mine. Obviously, I miss that friendship that I have with Shane as well. You called him a special play caller. What makes a special play caller? You know, it's 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 hard to say um, exactly what that is. It's just like, hey, calling the plays at the right time that are just, you know, man, how did you you felt you just felt that in that moment, right? And, and yeah felt that in that moment preparation also you know um but you know there, there's feel to it but then the preparation of leaving no stone unturned and going through every every detail that you could possibly go through to put yourself in position yeah we ask our players to put themselves in every position they can how am i running this play versus this look or that look or this look or that look I try to do the same as a coach and so his preparation is second to none as well you know the natural thought process i think coach for a lot of fans is the comparison to you because you know for all the obvious reasons so when when people are looking at Shane Steichen coming in as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and they're saying hey this is going to be like what Nick Sirianni did in Philly what is it like you know what what things do you have in common with him for maybe from approach and detriment and or, or excuse me approach and and style and then are there any things that are, that are different that you look at it and you say you know what maybe he learned from an area where where there was a detriment of, of something i did that he could have learned from sure i think what we we always try to do as coaches is learn some things from from guys of what you would do and how you would do it and take little parts of where you've where you've been and try to you know say here here's how i would do it right and so i'm sure shane's taking a little bit from from norv and a little north turner a little bit from frank reich a little bit from me a little bit from anthony lynn a little bit from mike mccoy and, and making it his own um you know that's what that's what you that's what you try to do is and, and do what you think's right and what you're convicted in um you know to make sure you're running the program the the way you want it want it to be run and so um you know, Shane, to say anything as far as systems go, like, he's got to figure out who's here first, right? And I think that that's what Shane and I have done. And, and, and what the example of that is, like, hey, neither of us have ever, ever run an offense quite like the one we ran this year. We had, you know, these type of players, and this is how we ran the offense. He tried to cater to the quarterback first. So I think, you know, to say this is what, you know, Shane will do because we did this and will he use some concepts from, from Philly? I imagine so that he will um but he's you know he'll i know what shane will do he'll figure out what his players do figure out what his players do well and he'll try to replicate that and does that always happen immediately no because you gotta you gotta go through training camp you gotta go through otas you gotta go through preseason games you gotta go through a couple it it took us about five or six games before we were hit our stride and said this is what we do well this is what we're going to continue to do and so you know i know shane will will figure out what his guys do well and uh you know and adapt to them especially that court whoever that quarterback is 
He was here as Colts offense coordinator from 2018 to 2020. Nick Sirianni, obviously Eagles head coach, with us uh, live at the convention center. I asked Shane at his opening presser the biggest thing he learned from you as a first-time head coach. He said accountability. How as a head coach do you go about being accountable? Yeah, first of all, the accountability starts with yourself um, and admitting you know, when you've messed up, right? And so if I'm going to get up in front of the room and talk to the guys about things that uh, that need to be corrected from the game or from practice, I better be saying the things that I did wrong too, right, and, and, and going that way. But I think what people think is accountability, and so it starts there where you're holding yourself accountable. You want our players to get better every day, we got to get better every day. You want players to be hold each other accountable and hold themselves accountable, you got to hold yourself accountable. But I think what a misconception conception sometimes about accountability is that it has to be negative that's not that's not at all accurate and and accountability won't like Sure. You, when it's when it's not done the right way, you you go through your process of, of how you correct that action. But when it's done the way that you really wanted it to be done, and way you know it needs to be done to, to compete at a high level, that's just as good a accountability because you're like you're going crazy about that. Like sometimes it looks like you're you're losing your mind, but you're losing your mind in such a good way. You're like that's exactly the way it's supposed <laughs> to look. That's exactly how I want it to look. And and so like and then that's the reinforcement like. And the man, that's exactly what he wants. And then when you do it this way, it looks good. We're playing good. So accountability starts with you. And then accountability doesn't just have to be negative. Right? You want to you want to be positive in your accountability too, because you're just trying to reinforce the actions you want to re, uh, continue to have. You're literally like the perfect fit for Philadelphia, aren't you? <laughs> like I'm not kidding you. Like it, it feels, it almost is like there was no other franchise that would have been a better fit. Yeah, I guess that's I grew up on the East Coast. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, like you know what I mean. Like you're just you kind of have that like Rocky Balboa like get up. Like do you drink raw eggs in the morning? I the de- whole deal. I, I definitely do not do that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> but smart. Do I? But do I love Rocky the Rocky movies? Yeah. Did I just start watching them with my son um, before basketball games? I did. Have you run the steps? You know what? I have, but he hasn't. So I need to take him. There's your project, season. right? It's an off-season but vacation. It's right amazing. There. Like, I mean, shoot, we're sitting there watching Rocky. I said, "Hey, what did what'd you learn? Work and hey, work hard. If I want to, yeah. if I want to beat Ivan Drago, I got to work hard." <laughs> so I'm like, "That's exactly what I wanted my son to say." Hey, I, let me ask you about this. I mean, Kevin made mention of it, and we can make light of it now and joke around about you know what it meant to you to come back to Indianapolis and win. And I think people know your relationship, your admiration, your respect for Frank Wright. And knowing the way that things ended for Frank Reich in Indianapolis, part of that's the nature of the business. Sure. But when Shane Steichen came to you and said, I have an opportunity, you said, oh, great. It's Indianapolis. What was your reaction, and was there any second of thinking to yourself, could there be somewhere else? Yeah, not not even actually, not even a little bit. Um, I, I, when he said it's Indianapolis, and I, I was just so happy. There's so many, so many great people in this city, and there's so many great people in that in that building, right? Like, shoot, we talk, we still talk to our friends uh, over in uh, Bridgewater, where we where we lived, right? Um, and then I just think about all the great people that they have in, in that building. Like, uh, you know, I, I have. I had a phenomenal three years here, um, and that and that starts with the the people you're around every day when you go to work. That starts with the people that you're around when you're when you live in the city. And so, um, I told him how much I liked it, liked living here. I told him how much I liked working in that building, um, and I was really happy for him to, uh, you know, to um, to have that opportunity. I, you know, and, and imagine he'll move somewhere that has a golf. I, I miss that golf cart I used to have that I used to drive. <laughs> He's got to have his kid watch Hoosiers though instead of Rocky, right? Yeah, you got you got to have you got to have the Hoosiers. He's got to make the drive down the, the street to go see Hoosiers. But, you know, I told him how much I like that golf cart that you drive around the neighborhood with in one of those communities. That's why I miss, I miss that golf cart. That I, used to have. <laughs> I can't have that in, uh, in Philly. What's I, the biggest challenge in going from, for you, was there a moment when you went from coordinator to head coach where all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, like I, now it's real. And, and what, is, what is the adjustment he's going to have to make? Um. There's always different, you know, different things there. Like I really felt prepared. Uh, I really did, and hopefully, I, I helped Shane, you know, in his journey to help him get prepared as well. Um, I just always remember Frank pulling me aside and saying stuff like, "Hey, when you're head coach, you're gonna have to." think through this just like I did right here and there's what I did like he, he made it he was very intentional Frank was very intentional about helping me develop into uh, into the head coach into a head coach right 
and I tried to do those same things for Jonathan and Shane. And so hopefully, you know, Shane has, has seen all those things, um, and he takes a little, like I said, takes a little bit from each person that he has, and 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 when he gets in those situations, um, to to um, you know to be able to handle it the way he thinks is right. But also when he gets in those situations, you know, obviously you try to prepare guys as much as you possibly can and help them prepare as much as you can. But you, you can't go through everything, right? And so when he gets in those situations, he knows he can call me, and I know he knows he can call Frank. I know he knows he can call you know his other mentors, and and you know when he when he has those, and, and Gus Bradley, right? I, that shoot, Gus was a big mentor for for both Shane and I. You know when we were together and with the Chargers, I still talk to Gus, and 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 he still helps me through through different situations. So you you you're never going to have all the answers, and and be re, be ready to reach out and uh, and reach out to people that you trust when you when you need to when you need to ask questions. Nick, last one from me. You know, I brought it up to start the interview. Obviously, your reaction at the end of that Colts Eagles game back in November got a lot of fanfare on our airwaves. Um, they were the, mad at me. The, well, it, it, <laughs> that's probably an accurate statement. The little bit that I know of you, I, I simply said that Monday, that is the competitive spirit that I know that you live with in every walk of life, not just the game of football. But it was that combination with your loyalty to Frank Reich. Is that accurate in your emotion at the end of that game? Yeah, you know, obviously very competitive. I think one of my friends <laughs> said, some, some one of my friends who actually went to the Super Bowl, he said um, you know, um, one of the one of the people that he works with that came in and was like, "Did you see Nick at the end of the game?" He goes, "Yeah, that's how Nick is when we used to play Nintendo I together was say, when we were kids." Is like, that you like winning a beer pong, you know, game? One hundred percent. And so like then he's like, "That's that's just what that's just who he is." But but also you know I was I was raised in a home where family was everything, right? And uh, you know faith, family, football, and um, you know I, I can remember you know if my brothers' teams had a bad game, um, they, I had two older brothers. And if my brother's team's had a bad game, I, I'm crying, right? I, I got emotional about it. Or if somebody said something about my brother's, hey, he, he didn't play quarterback very well. Like I'm ready to, I'm ready to be really pissed off, right? Mm-hmm. And and so for, I tr- I think of Frank as like my older brother, and uh, and that's just when, when, when that's just how you feel about your family, and you're just you're just loyal, and you're, and because you know they've always had your back, you've always had their back, and you always want what's best for them, and and you don't and you don't like it. When it's when it's when it's not best for them. So now, what what were you yelling? That's what I want to know. That, that's, was that stays there. <laughs> was it to Philly fans or indie fans? That stays there. Too. Oh darn it! I, I, I tried. It was just safe travels tried. home. That's right. You know. <laughs> hey, you need to go. Uh, and I realize that you're fairly busy here while you're in town. Um, you need to go to 47th and Boulevard to Hoagies and Hops because literally, the gal that runs it is is from Philly. Okay, and you walk in and you would think that are you, you are across the street. Like it, literally, it's entirely Philadelphia. I Eagles feel like stuff. you might be setting me up, and there's, and there's going to be no. all the Colts fans. <laughs> I'm telling you, after the game. they sit behind the visiting had, bench every single game, they had, and they've been waiting for they you. They had Super Bowl specials. <laughs> they had the entire place was fly what Eagles is, fly. What is it called again? Hoagies and hops. Hoagies it's a forty seven. Just it's over south by Butler. Yeah, okay. just it oh, went, okay. Yeah, cool. just south the Butler. That was one of my regrets being here. I didn't get to go to a Butler game. Oh yeah, I heard it was awesome. I was at Hinkle last night for the game. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah an awesome time up there um unbelievable success Thank proud you. of you um i know it's uh, probably been a whirlwind these last couple of years but i think jake summed it up pretty well you you, you fit philly really well and it's uh, darn impressive hey, what are you and shane next year both going to be in the headset of former alabama quarterbacks on the field what do you think? Uh, I can't answer. I don't know. What, listen, I, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't. We don't share secrets anymore. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, Jim Mercy had a slip up. Nick Sirianni's not going to have a that's slip right. up here. With that's us. Right. Thanks, Nick. Enjoy, Andy. All right, Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. The NFL Combine. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 
So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. In the story of the week here in Indianapolis, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen as we are live at the Indiana Convention Center. People starting to filter in. Again, kudos to... ESPN 1000 in Chicago. They were the first ones here this morning. Uh, I also saw some of the Raiders folks have already showed up. Uh, so far... That's what happens when Tiki Bob's closes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then, what are we doing here? Nothing else to do. Why don't we show up? Well, let's scanning, go work. Scanning the room, the Lions, so far, the, the holdout. It looks like they are the, the last to arrive. The helmet is still sitting over there, though. You know, looking at the Cowboys. I'm looking at the fighting Mike Tomlins. It looks a little ghost town over there. Is that the Steelers over there? I believe that is. Okay. Um, right now, prospects starting to talk to the media. So, Jake, uh, workouts will begin tomorrow afternoon here on Wednesday morning. Defensive players. So, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, two guys that will hear their name called pretty early in the draft. And I think there will be some implications with those two names and where the Colts pick. Uh, those two meet in the media here shortly. Let's go to the Payless Liquors guest line. That's where Peter King joins us. Of course, you can read his work, NBC Sports, amongst the many places in which Peter King has become ubiquitous within the NFL culture. And along with that, during the Combine, a year ago, he did the same thing. Actually, has done it for a couple of years, a fundraiser for Teachers Treasures of Indianapolis. This is going to be on Friday at Sun King. We'll get you all the information and how you can get tickets at Eventbrite for an event where he is going to be there, along with Colts coach Shane Steichen. We'll get to all of that in just a moment, but first let's welcome in. Good morning to you, Peter. Good good to talk to you again. Good morning, man. How are you? Uh, we are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, it's <laughs> this... It's, um, it's interesting to me. I, I was saying, Peter, that the combine and the evolution of it, I, you know, it means so much to Indianapolis, but I feel like inevitably, and I know that the league loves having it here for all of the, you know, the medical purposes and everything being here on site, but man, the way this thing's grown in the radio row, it feels like it's right on the cusp of being the next thing that the NFL kind of takes as a traveling circus. Is that me being a paranoid guy civically, or is there some reality to that? No, I think there are, there are owners in the league that view it as a money-making tool. reason why Indianapolis is the best place on earth to have the combine is that everything is so incredibly convenient. You never have to get in a car. You, you know, you, everything is right downtown. Now, the players have to go to the hospital to get their medicals done and all that stuff, but basically... An NFL person can get dropped off at the JW Marriott or the Westin or the Hyatt or the Omni Severin and not have to get in a car for the next six days. Um, So I think that is really part of the plus of it. But I, I also think that the way the NFL has worked, starting with the draft when it used to be in New York every year and everybody just... It was unquestioned that the draft was going to be in New York. And when Roger Goodell started moving it around like a traveling circus, and one night on day one of the draft in Nashville, there were 600,000 people on Broadway in Nashville. Everybody started saying, and like 800,000 people in downtown Philadelphia when the draft was there. And everybody started saying, wow. So the NFL can really generate this type of excitement in business. The only thing is, the draft is really a lot different from the combine. <laughs> you know, the combine is more of a business meeting more than anything else. They're trying to turn it into a little bit of a circus, but it's really a part of the business calendar. You know, examining these players you know, testing them, meeting them for the first time. So, you know, I think that the NFL is really going to investigate looking into moving it somewhere, maybe Vegas, maybe L.A., uh, maybe Dallas. But I I still think, and I think everybody in the, you know, who isn't a money-making person thinks that Indianapolis is ideal. 
It's the great Peter King. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, his event coming up this Friday over at Sun King on the east side of downtown with Shane Steich, and we'll chat more about that and certainly the, the uh, teacher treasures impact of that. And as a son of two teachers, greatly enjoy seeing Peter helping out a wonderful cause. Um, Let's focus, Peter, on, on what you wrote about Monday, and it's a must-read, Football Morning in America every Monday, and you chatted with Daniel Jeremiah, who will get a ton of airtime here in the next few days as guys start to hit the field for workouts, and certainly the quarterback position speaks for itself here in Indianapolis of what that means. Based off your conversation with Jeremiah and the Colts sitting there at four, what decisions do you think the Colts will have to make, not only with their own spot at four, but the teams above them? Well, I think this is going to be, the next two months basically are going to be a game of cat and mouse for the, uh, for the Texans at number two, for the Colts at four, uh, for the Raiders at seven, and for the Panthers at nine. So all four of those teams clearly want a young quarterback to build around. And there are some very interesting candidates in this draft. And so you have to ask yourself, there are going to be some people who are not bothered by the fact that Bryce Young is maybe 5'11 and three quarters. We'll find out here in a couple of days exactly how tall he is, but he's not tall. And whether the size of these other guys, uh, who all are at least 6'3", whether the size is going to have a big impact on what teams might want to do. Now, I would say with the success of Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, you know, in the last 20 years, it's not as desperate anymore to get a statuesque tall quarterback. But still, being 5'11 or 6 feet does at quarterback does bother a lot of teams. Now, I believe that Chris Ballard, at least his his intent, along with the intent of Jim Irsay, is to stop at nothing to get the quarterback that they want. And so that's why, to me, I think the Chicago Bears are in an incredible position sitting there at number one. Because if you get two or three teams bidding to move up to number one, they're, in, they're going to be in Fat City. They could end up with, you know, as many as three number ones coming out of here without moving out of the top ten. So I, I just I think that if the Colts end up trading up to number one, which has been widely speculated, it's going to cost a lot. And they're really going to have to believe in whoever they move up to get. And that, Peter, this is what fascinates me. Peter King is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I th- See if this makes sense. But what I've been saying is, and the Colts have to make this evaluation, and that is if there are, let's say, four quarterbacks, okay? I mean, yeah. we hear, you know, Stroud, Young, Richardson, uh, Levis. I mean, let's say there are four. Is the disparity one to four a greater gap than the gap of what you would have to give up to move up those three spots. In other words, do we know yet, Peter, and maybe we don't, do we know yet whether or not this is a year where you have to get the one guy? In other words, if if you're a team in need of a quarterback, is this the year to be in need of one? In my opinion, this is a risky year. Um, and look, I, I throw myself on the mercy of the court here. I'm not a big college football watcher. I've seen highlights of all these guys. The guy who I really like a lot is C.J. Stroud. Boy, you and me, uh, man. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I, I love this. One of the reasons I really love C.J. Stroud is that I believe that he can make every throw with authority. And you need to do that in the NFL. You need to fit balls into tight windows, and you need to be bold. And he did that without throwing a lot of interceptions. So to me, I, I, you know, he's got the size, he's got the demeanor. I, he would be the guy who, at least at the start of this process, that if I could get him, uh, I'd be pretty happy coming out of this draft. But... But, and this is a huge but, there are those who would look at Bryce Young and who would say, 
key is Mac Jones plus 15%. And look, Mac Jones hasn't had a great two years to start off his NFL career. It's almost like the first half of his first year was the best (laughs) that we've seen Mac Jones. But you've got to believe that with better coaching now with Bill O'Brien in New England, we're going to see a better Mac Jones in 2023. But having said that, if I were the Colts, I would be looking at only one thing. Which one of these guys is going to stand the test of time? Who can I build this franchise around uh, in a way that 25 years ago we drafted Peyton Manning and started building the franchise around him? Now, I just don't think that any of these guys are going to be Peyton Manning. But, you know, here's the funny thing about quarterbacks right now. I think Tom Brady has been a template for all young quarterbacks. And by that, I mean, did anybody think that Jalen Hurts drafted whatever he was, 55th overall in 2020, was going to turn into a top five NFL quarterback? Nobody did. And who knows? He's got to stand the test of time, too. But by the end of this year, he sure looked like a top five NFL quarterback. And the way he did it was just dedicating his entire life to being great at being a quarterback. And I think Brady uh, has taught a lot of people like Mahomes, like Hurts. Hurts is going to Brady's quarterback coaches now in the offseason out in California. So all of these all of these factors, in my opinion, one of the ones that whoever you draft has better had better have the sort of ethos and work ethic uh, that I, I nothing I will not be denied. I am going to be a great quarterback in the NFL, and that's one of the things that Chris Ballard and and the Texans and the Raiders and and Carolina are going to have to going to have to work on in the next two months. And certainly what this week is really largely about in those formal and informal interviews, you get a chance to sit down and meet with these prospects in many regards for the first time, certainly for Shane Steichen the first time. Again, Peter King is with us here. Uh, For those looking for more information on Peter's event this Friday, we just retweeted it from our show account. Again, it's 5.30 over at Sun King. Shane Steichen will be in the building. Uh, Shaquille Leonard auctioning off uh, jersey, signed jersey, DeForest Buckner, Reggie Wayne, um, football as well, so some cool prizes over at Sun King coming up this Friday, and again, Teacher Treasures is the charity um, with that event. Peter, obviously Jim Irsay made a whole lot of news on and off the field, or I guess I should say with his own team, and then off the field with some Daniel Snyder comments this year. You have a great pulse just nationally, league-wide. How do you think Jim Irsay was viewed, whether it be his interactions of meddling uh, within the team and then the Daniel Snyder comments league-wide? Look, I don't think anybody loved uh, when he gave Jeff Saturday that job. Um, I think that there are a lot of skeptical people around the league. And, and obviously, look, we all know Jeff Saturday. He's a great guy. And I have no doubt that uh, that one day... Um, you know, especially, especially with the right quarterback, because I look, you're never going to be a great coach in the NFL unless you have a really good quarterback, period. That's it's it's a must. But uh, so he came into an unenviable situation. But having said all that, you know, taking a coach out of the clear blue sky, I think a lot of people were down on that uh, around the league. But I also think that and look I talked to a lot of people around the league no one is going to come out and say go Jimmy when he said what he said about Daniel Snyder but I can tell you that there are a lot of owners and top league officials who are cheering him on because nobody had the had the stones to basically come out and say Daniel Snyder is bad for business in the NFL and he is and he shouldn't be an owner in the NFL, and they got to get him out of there. And and Jim Irsay was willing to walk to the edge of the cliff and to say that when no one else did. Now, that is anti the boys' club that you know NFL ownership is. But I think there were a lot of people who were just fed up with Daniel Snyder having ruined 
one of the great NFL markets in the United States. So I, I love, honestly, I love what Jim Ursay said about Dan Snyder. And more and more continues to come out to prove that Jim Ursay was right in starting to uh, throw rocks at Daniel Snyder. And you know, Peter, to me, and you tell me if, if you agree with this, but if I recall correctly, that was right on the heels also of a report that Snyder had allegedly hired like private investigators and had kind yeah, of made veiled yeah. threats to the other owners. And to me, it was almost like Jim Irsay was saying, look, my entire... All of my indiscretions are out there. I, I'm as transparent yeah, yeah, as exactly. it gets now. So, yeah. so I'll be the one that's, that that falls on this sword because you ain't going to yeah. dig anything up on me, right? It's all out there, and I think that was great of him to say that. You know, if he wants to investigate me, bring it on because everybody knows what ha- what has happened <laughs> right. in his life. You know, so I I just I think sometimes sometimes look, I would bet a lot of money. That if Roger Goodell knew what Jim Irsay was going to say at that owners' meeting in New York in October, uh, or I think it was October, I, I don't think he knew uh, exactly what was going to happen that day. I think if he did know that he would have stood up in a meeting and said something to the effect of, "Guys, we got to keep every and women, we got to keep everything in house. We don't need to go air our dirty laundry outside." That's one of the problems in the league right now. You read Don Van Natta's story at ESPN.com yesterday, and, you know, Roger Goodell in that story is accused of siding with Snyder over his limited partners, minority partners, in almost a, hey, you guys, get out of here. Don't, don't, don't bother us. And, and that, to me, is something that if I'm an owner in this league, one of the things that Jim, I think, was right in talking about is we don't have a lot of these conversations. We need to discuss these things in-house. We've never had a serious conversation about the damage that's being done to this league by Daniel Snyder. And we need to talk about this. And, and I, think, I think that kind of stuff is great for the league long term. I applaud Jimmy Ursay for saying it. Peter, last one from me. Um, the competition committee met earlier this week. That's always a big part of what Combine Week is about. You know, potential yeah. rule changes that we could see for 2023. Obviously, there's talk about the Eagles and the QB sneak play that they've mastered. There's a lot of chatter regarding the roughing the passer penalty. If I granted you commissioner for the day, and I guess maybe 75% of ownership vote for the day, where would you fall in a rule change or two for 2023 and beyond? I would not change the rule about uh, about about many things. I'm not one of these guys who, you know, after you see two or three things go wrong during the year, tear it down. I, I just have never been that way. But I would say two things about the rules that they're discussing. One, I don't think that this rugby scrum push of the quarterback is what anybody ever intended when this rule was reconstituted in 2005 to allow runners to be aided from behind. Um, and, And it's not worded very specifically, but in essence, Sean Payton said it all when he got the Denver head coaching job. And he basically said, look, we're going to be working on that play in practice. That will be in our playbook. And look, it's only a matter of time before uh, two offensive linemen line up in the backfield on fourth and one and at the snap of the ball just push as hard as they can. The quarterback, who along with the offensive line, should be able to get a yard. It's just a sheer amount of force. And look, I just think it's not a football play. It's just, it's not, and it's not skill. There's nothing skillful about it. And I just, I don't like it. And if it doesn't change, I think you're going to see more and more teams abuse what happens in, in this 
and uh, they're going to abuse it to the point that we're going to say we've really gone far afield from what football is. I think the other thing, and I've, I've always sort of agreed with those who would say, hey, listen, if you're not going to increase the number of challenges, let a coach challenge anything he wants at any time. You know, just just challenge any play at all. It doesn't matter what it is. Because if you're not going to increase the number of challenges, then a coach knows that he's going to have to hang on to one challenge for very late in a game. So he's not going to waste his challenges in the first quarter. Uh, so I've, I've always said, hey, if you think the pass interference call was lousy, Let's let's look at it. If you think the roughing the passer thing was lousy, let's look at it. And if it's obviously wrong, then it'll be changed. And I'm not a huge fan of a lot of what the NFL does in picking away at the rules all the time. But I think that's where the game is headed eventually anyway. I just rip the Band-Aid off and do it right now. Peter, last thing before we let you go, because I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about it. Peter King is our guest on the Palo Sugars Hotline, and I appreciate your efforts in Indianapolis that you do each year. One of the things that you and I have in common is I think it is super fun when I go to different cities to try out like the local beer, right, of the city, and yeah. and you know, yeah. and and I know that you enjoy doing the same. And Sun King is one that you've enjoyed, so you've parlayed that now into a fundraiser now that's become an annual event. Tell me how it all came together and how people can again get involved on Friday night at 5.30 at Sun King? Well, I, I don't know. I started this maybe 10 or 12 years ago, um, you know, at at Sun King. And we would just meet every year, and I'd bring some sports writer friends of mine and sports media now because there will be NFL Network people there on Friday night. Uh, so I brought a bunch of people over, and we would just sit uh, sit around, have a couple of beers, and talk to fans who would come in, and they really enjoyed it. We would, you know, we'd uh, we'd allow them to ask questions, and 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 just it was fun to sit there for two two and a half hours and talk football. And so, I don't know, we we did it, started doing it as a fundraiser uh, a few years ago. And the last couple of years, we've you, we've used teachers' treasures, and so I, I think one of the reasons why it appeals to me so much is that to me, there's nothing more heartbreaking. Well, shoot, there's a lot. There are other heartbreaking things in the world right now too, but there are few things that are more heartbreaking than when I see a teacher who has got three kids at home and is barely making ends meet anyway, have to go out and spend $250 for school supplies because he or she doesn't have enough supplies in the, in the classroom. And so Teacher's Treasures is fantastic at basically saying to uh, teachers in some low-income areas, uh, schools, to basically say you can come in and you can go shopping for $500 worth of uh, you know $500 worth of supplies once a year and bring them back into your classroom and so and the one other thing that's great about teachers treasures for every $1 that is donated $15 of buying power is invented by that so last year when we raised $15,000 at our event that was actually over two hundred thousand um, dollars that we were able to raise, and so look, I'm I'm very bullish on this. It's fun for us to do anyway. Me and some of my friends, and the Colts have been incredibly nice to us over the years in donating things and donating money. So we're very grateful to them. And Shane Steichen has agreed to come over for a half hour on Friday night and so he'll get to meet everyone and it's just it's a very nice community thing and uh, it's the least we can do quite honestly to repay Indianapolis for all the great times we've had there over the years 
Yeah, I've been fortunate to be at the event. It's a fun, fun time over there, and hell, it's a happy hour beer on a Friday, so you can't beat that. <laughs> That's right. uh, talking yep. about sports, and for Jake and I, education means a whole lot to our family. So, Peter, thank you for doing that, especially in our own backyard. Appreciate the time. Safe travels to Indianapolis, and uh, as always, great stuff with what you do every single Monday and what you've done for the NFL, Peter. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate you having me up. Boy, it's picking up here. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jake. It is. There's almost 600,000 people here. Oh, God. Somebody just said me think I was there. We were packed in. There were definitely 600,000 people. That, look, we know for a Are fact. Are we going back down this we road? We know for a fact that sitting side by side, 200,000 people takes two and a half miles. Right? We know, we, we know that tangibly for a fact. So three times is this that amount. Is this a math problem you've done recently? Three times that amount are in an eight square block area. Zero chance of that. Zero. Pay off your tees for the team with the logo. New England Patriots. Let me show you. Thank oh, you, is it the old Patriot logo? No, I've never seen this before. Mark, Kevin, I'm, I'm going to show you the picture that I just took, and you tell me, have you ever seen that logo? And describe wow. it. Uh, it's like a very cursive N-E established in 1960. I have not seen that at yeah, all. Yeah, it's not only that, but it's like new colors. Like if I thought that was their MLS so team. Is that I, the New I England went, Revolution? I went and looked... The New England Patriots. I mean, they still have the Patriot head thing, you know, that with the newer one that they have on the helmet. But the banner itself just says Patriots football, and then in almost an orange color, literally, it looks like Bears colors. It's the letter N and the letter E, and yeah, the letter N swoops don't look right. all the way down into a ribbon that says "Established 1960." Saving us from NFL draft attendance numbers and the logo of the New England Patriots, Stephen Holder is joining us now. Stephen will be at the Combine here in a bit. Again, Shane Steichen at 2.30, Chris Ballard at 3.30. Let's start there, Stephen. Um, what's on your mind when the Colts head coach meets the media for the second time, and I guess the first time we've talked with Chris Ballard since that uh, opening press conference for Shane Steichen? Yeah, um, well, I want to start off topic. The, the lead-in music to this segment, close to my heart, the Tribe Call Quest, um, uh, that was that album. I think that was what that was. Uh, Midnight Marauders. I bought that album. I took. I borrowed my mom's minivan, 1993. That that album came out. I borrowed my mom's minivan and told her I was going to like the library, and I went to the store and bought that album that it came out. So good job, Mark. Nice job, Mark. Thank you, on that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Very close to my heart. Anyway, um, I I think. We don't really know anything about Shane Steichen, like nothing. <laughs> so I just want to like hear his philosophy on things, and and this with a little more depth. I think that we, for five years, to Frank Reich on a daily basis, like him or not like him, Frank Reich is very thorough. He gives you a lot of depth in terms of where he stands on things, how he sees things. I think as a fan. You should always appreciate that, right? Because not every coach is like that. It doesn't mean they are good or bad or, or otherwise if they don't do it. I'm just saying it's not typical. So I think it's going to take a little more work for us to kind of get to know what makes Shane Steichen tick, what he likes, what he doesn't like, uh, how he sees players, philosophies, all of that. So I just think every opportunity we have to talk to him is a building block. And it's going to take a little time for us to figure him out. So that's kind of where I'm at. And then I, I do want to hear his thoughts on just the quarterback class. I, I think there are 
there's a variety of types of guys and and i'm just kind of interested to hear his thoughts on uh, on how he assesses that so far you know, a Ballard-related topic I have, Stephen, and i got to figure out how to word this because, you know, you can't just be as blunt and being like, is Ryan Kelly going to be on the team next month? Um, but that is <laughs> yeah. a question that I'm very curious about. But does he feel the offensive line needs personnel attention? I mean, when you look at yeah, it, everybody's yeah. under contract. Like, the, no one's a free agent of that starting group. Matt Pryor was benched, and he's, I think, the only free agent among the offensive line group. So when you talk about either Kelly at center, right guard with Will Fries, I assume, and, and I get their thinking with this, I assume Bernard Ryman will be the day one starter mm-hmm. at left tackle. I still think getting a veteran in there just to provide some support w- would be smart as a backup. But that is a question that I have is, do you think you have the right personnel offensive line and you just need whatever a new energy new jolt new coaching staff or if you think that group needs starting level attention in free agency and or the draft i mean it's a great question look they could in theory they could just run it back right the question is should they (laughs) frankly and and i think when you see the performance of last year it was just too up and down for me it doesn't mean that you need wholesale changes, but I do think you have to ask yourself some really difficult questions. You know, I have tried to get some uh, assessments from from the team on on players who maybe struggled last year. For example, Ryan Kelly. You know, like where is where is he at, and and how do they view someone like him moving forward? Not just him, but like everybody. You know, and one of the things that I was told, and I think this is actually a good thing. One of the things that I was told is that they wanted to get the new staff on board and really allow the new sets of eyes to really evaluate everybody. I think that's actually healthy. And, and sometimes you learn about your own players, you know, when you get uh, a different pair of eyes looking at them and evaluating them. So I think that's going to be a, a part of this, this process, probably post-combine as they head into free agency and have to start making decisions on the future and, and on players' specific fates. I think that's, that's going to be a part of that. But, but your, your question overall is very appropriate, I think, about the offensive line. I, I think at the end of the day, for all of the quarterback problems they had, uh, they would have been a much more functional team last year had the offensive line performed. That is a very simple and irrefutable fact. Yeah, definitely. Steven, do you believe that the Colts would have a ceiling if, for example, the Colts feel they have to move up a spot ahead of Houston for the quarterback that they want? And if Chicago, who may be in a position to want a King's ransom, do you believe the Colts would have a ceiling on what they would be willing to part with? A a hard Mm -hmm. thought of ceiling going into the discussion. Uh, whether whether they have spelled it out specifically, that's a little harder to say. But but generally, yeah, I do think there's going to come a point where in in these hypothetical conversations, right? Because they are hypothetical. We do not know if they love like love Bryce Young that much to say, hey, we're going to go to number one. There's a lot of assumptions made in that in that thinking, right? But let's let's for the sake of you know fun. Let's, let's make that argument and, and say that they are, and you're going to make that move. You have to be completely sold, right? And, and I think if you are, then, then you're willing to go further. But even if you think he, this kid is going to transform your franchise, I mean, there's still you still have to leave open the possibility that you're wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, how many, how many quarterback busts do we have to see to to not allow for that possibility, right? You, you, this is not a hundred percent. This is not a one hundred percent proposition. No matter how convinced you are on any of these kids, you could be wrong. In fact, history says that half of them will be wrong. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, you have to have a reasonable approach to this because if you go all in and you screw it up, you are getting fired, and you should. <laughs> and you should. Okay. <laughs> and you will. It is, man. <laughs> yeah. It's a big and league, you will. But, hey. It's the big leagues. 
Stephen, you know, I'm convinced. Very bluntly from Stephen Holder. Thank you Stephen, for that. Stephen, I'm convinced, though, and we've had this discussion before, and I'm not saying I blame him for it. I, I'm convinced that Chris Ballard has avoided drafting a quarterback yeah. in the NFL because of the fact that that's when your clock starts. No, it, look, he is not wrong. I, I think I think he does. I think he's very aware of that. Look, he's, to his credit, he admits it openly, right? I actually kind of... I actually kind of admire that about him. <laughs> he's just like, hey, y'all ain't going to fire me around here, okay? And, like, he's kind of open about it. I don't think that's necessarily driving every single decision. Don't get me wrong. But, look, we're all human. You can't you can't wake up in the morning and, and have all this on your plate and not think, all right, well, what if I screw this up? What happens, right? I mean, yeah, you think about that. So I, I just think that's human nature. Chris Ballard just happens to openly admit it, <laughs> which, again, I weirdly appreciate about him. So all I can say is I, I think you're right. I don't think you're wrong, and I think it's probably true for most people in the NFL, but I also think that it can go the other way. You know, playing it safe and not taking chances, which at times he has done, you know, can, can leave you in a bad place too. Like, I mean, Chris Ballard's not in a place of – of, of you know significant job security right now I'm not saying like if this is a a mediocre season he's getting fired all I'm saying is you know look he he's, he's, he's under some pressure right he's under pressure and and he hasn't made that big gamble to date right so it hasn't it hasn't necessarily worked out for him that way either Stephen Holder from ESPN.com he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline Steven, if I threw out the number 35% chance quarterback goes one, two, and three in this draft, first three picks being quarterback, if I put that at a 35% chance, too low, too high, what do you think of that number? Hmm. That's what we saw two years ago, by the way, when you had Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Trey Lance with San Francisco trading yeah. up to get Lance at three. I actually think you're you're probably – you're probably spot on there. And here's why, because I, I think it's not about, oh, well, I don't think this guy's as good as this guy or that's too high for this player or that player. I, I get all those, uh, uh, you know, viewpoints. Here's the thing. It only takes one. You, you just mentioned a great example. Trey Lance going to San Francisco. I mean, not many of us had that pegged, right? And it only took one team. Was anybody else going to take him there? I don't know. But they did. <laughs> and that's all that matters. And I think that's that's kind of what you're, what the, the possibilities are here because you have a group of about four quarterbacks. We know who they are and who are kind of you know, the most sought after. Whatever way you want to rank them and however high you think they should go, there's a group of four quarterbacks, right? There are substantially more than four teams that need quarterbacks. And by the way, the free agent class, is absolutely terrible. So, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I think their value is getting pushed up. It's no coincidence that Anthony Richardson is getting all of this buzz lately. And it's because I think, look at the landscape. The, the odds are he's going to go a lot higher than people think. And it's really just a supply and demand situation. Stephen, in terms of the workouts here, Stephen Holder's our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. And you can read them at ESPN.com. In terms of the workouts that take place here at the Combine, give me an example of, or an idea, like we'll take the Colts. So the quarterbacks are working out, or the linemen, whatever it might be. Who, what rep, how many representatives for each franchise are actually personally in attendance watching those workouts? Oh, I think at the Combine, uh, probably a majority of the front office is, is there. Um, just because they're all, you know, on site anyway. Um, and you have a team suite, right? Inside of Lucas Oil yeah, Stadium? exactly. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, I, I mean, look, it's... It's banana. I, I think it depends maybe if you're the, you know, if, if you're the, you know, offensive line coach, are you watching the are you watching the, uh, the defensive line drills? Eh, maybe, maybe not, right? But... But certainly, for the coaches, the, the position coaches, they are certainly invested in in the positions that they coach, or at least their side of the ball. And and then the front office, from the scout standpoint, and and the uh, you know the the team executives, yeah, they definitely 
are are in attendance, definitely paying attention. I, yeah, I think it matters. Look, it's not the most important thing, but but look, everything matters. That's I forget who was saying this yesterday, but like every little thing matters, and and you you'd be surprised. I mean, sometimes it's one particular movement a player might make where you're like, man, I didn't know he could move like that, and now they're going back to the file to figure out all right who's this guy what do we not know about him what do, what more do we need to know etc i mean it's it, everything matters and and they're available to you you might as well take advantage of it now i would say this uh there are some things that matter more and so the, the quarterback workouts right i think i think it's going to matter a lot for a guy like anthony richardson for example right i mean he has he has to go in there and look the part and he's going to go run you know, some ridiculous 40 time. He's going to have, you know, like a, a you know, 4,000 foot vertical jump or something. But, you know, they want to see how he throws. What's his technique look like? Does he look the part? And I think that's a guy who can really help himself. I, not to keep harping on him, but he's just a really good example of what we're talking about. Now, pardon my naivete on this also, Stephen, but, or, or Kevin, either one of you guys. Let's say there is a player, not quarterback, but, you know, whatever, a tight end that the Colts see at the Combine and they think, okay, we really like this this guy's skill set. Then they go to, let's say, that kid's pro day. Are they limited to the number of times that they can then have him work out or approach him? Are there league rules where they cannot then privately or independently say, you know what, that, that guy caught our eye and we went to his pro day, we liked him there, so let's work him out even a third time or bring him to the complex ahead of time. Are there rules against those things? No, you, you actually can go do a private workout with the kid and, and that does happen. So oftentimes... Uh, it'll be the team going to wherever that player is, where he's, you know, sort of preparing for the draft and or his college campus, whatever. It doesn't matter. And and you would you would elect to have a, a private workout. That does happen a lot. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, those things they try to keep them quiet, and sometimes we don't hear about it. But it does happen quite a bit. And I think generally it happens not so much with the marquee players but maybe with guys who are a little further down the board the reason for that is if you are uh, the agent of a of a marquee player if he had a good pro day you want to just leave that alone right you you don't want to you don't want to mess with that and, and maybe give a team reason to second guess uh, so if he's performed well, you're probably just going to say, all right, I'm going to stand on what I've done. But if you're a guy who's kind of, you know, in the, uh, a second-day pick or beyond that and a, a team is interested in doing a private workout with you, that's in your best interest. That tells me, like, they are super interested uh, because they're going to go through the, the effort to do that. Um, I, would, I would definitely show up for that and definitely be on board. And yeah, I mean, last I mean, last year, what was it? Ballard, Alec, uh, Reggie Wayne. Uh, I feel like there were some others that went down to Cincinnati to see Frank Alec Wright Pierce. Did, yeah. yeah, Frank. Uh, went, I'm sure Desmond Ritter. You know, I'm sure there were some others involved um, in that private workout. Um, last one for me, Stephen. Uh, the Matt Ryan situation, I, I don't think, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think we expect him to be on the team in 2023, but there are some financial implications on whether he's cut before the new league year begins two weeks from today, or if he retires, uh, he'd be foolish to retire in the next two weeks, right? I mean, financially, he wants to make a little bit more money and make the Colts cut him, right? Look, if I'm, if I'm Matt Ryan, I... Look, my opinion is I owe you guys no favors, okay? <laughs> exactly. Right. You put me through the ringer this year. Now, granted, he did not play well, right? He did his own damage. I, I'm, right, not, but I, I'm not suggesting that he's a victim here. However, his contract's a contract, though. Yeah, and, you know, he got, he got jerked around a little bit, certainly got benched twice. I, I want my money. Pay me. And the only thing we got to discuss is, is it going to be direct deposit or you, or you write me a check? Okay, that's the only conversation in my book. All right. Pay me my money. If I'm Matt Ryan, pay me and then, you know, have a nice life. <laughs> yeah, I, hard to argue that, man. I think it's I want to say it's six million you owe in if he retires and it's like 17. If he doesn't retire, yeah. does that sound right? You also save right, like 17 or 18. Right, because then those guarantees would not be would would not be in effect. I, I believe that's how that would work. Right. So yeah, that's why when he said after the season, "Oh, I'm not thinking about retirement," I was like, "I know you're not thinking about retirement because you'd be an idiot." So, yep. uh, I do believe that he's interested in playing, and and the market is so bad that it's not like completely out of the question that if you could get him cheap, 
as as some kind of mentor quarterback, maybe you'd consider it. I, I don't think you want to play Matt Ryan in 2023, but I don't know. In the in the perfect situation, maybe it's maybe it's viable. I don't know. Maybe Steven. Maybe some you know veteran backup for Kyle Shan- Kyle Shanahan or something. You know. When I was when I was 17, I wasn't thinking about failing algebra. It just happened, right? Algebra yeah. failed me. I mean, yeah. although you're right, he might have options. I, to me, the more bizarre storyline is that a year ago, one would think that by 2023, midway through the year, that Matt Ryan and Nick Foles, neither one would be living in Indianapolis and Carson Wentz might. You know, <laughs> just hanging out. Strange times we live in, isn't it? That, that's right. I think they all live pretty close to each other. They do. There. I think they all do, yeah. In, uh, in Boone County. Steven, safe travels down here to the Combine. As always, great stuff, man. We'll see you, uh, we'll see you in a bit. All right, guys.